Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. So a guy who worked with U.S. forces as an interpreter in Afghanistan for years survived. And then he fled with his family. When the withdrawal started, and he, he got out. He survived. They survived. Came to America. And he was murdered. 31-year-old father of four. He'd been living in Alexandria, Virginia for less than a year. He was gunned down early Monday morning as he finished up a late lift shift. His name was Nasrat Ahmad Yar. His wife wanted him to come home after a night out with friends but he told her rent was due, he needed to keep working, and then he was shot and killed in his car. D.C. police officers responded to 11th Street Northeast near D Street Northeast just after midnight for a reported shooting, and they found him with a gunshot wound. They took him to the hospital, but he died. He was the sole provider for his wife and four kids, ages 13 years to 15 months. He was still sending money home, to his family in Afghanistan as well. He had served as an interpreter along U.S. Army Special Forces in Afghanistan. He escaped in 21. And his friend says that he would often work up to 12 hours a day for Lyft to make ends meet. There is a GoFundMe that has been started to help provide for his family. And uh, the local Afghan community has also started a donation page. This is from a news story at WUSA9.com by Matthew Torres. Ahmad Yar and his family first moved to America, and when they got here, they first moved to Philadelphia. They relocated to Alexandria. Why, you ask? Well, he, uh, he and his family felt unsafe in Pennsylvania after being robbed at gunpoint. And so they moved to Alexandria, but he's running lift service into D.C., and he's murdered. There was camera footage on the night of the shooting from some neighbor's Nest camera, one of the front door cameras, I guess. They sent it to WUSA 9, and in the surveillance video, you hear a single gunshot, and then you see four boys running down an alley, one of them shouting, you killed him, he was about to get out. And another said, he was reaching, bro. Reaching for something, a phone or a gun or whatever, don't know. According to D.C. police stats, there have been 127 homicides so far this year. That is a 19% increase from the same period in 2022. There's a $25,000 reward also being offered. Is it any wonder why people are fleeing these areas? Children wielding baseball bats are reportedly attacking and robbing helpless mothers and nannies in a wealthy neighborhood known for its young families. It's called uh, Stroller Alley. It's referred to as No Valley. 
N-O-E, No Valley? You guessed it, it's in San Francisco. It's called Stroller Alley because of the many families with young children who live there. There have been 11 phone robberies last week. Authorities believe they are linked to a gang of youths who have also lately been assaulting women with bats while they pick up their kids from school. Two women were reportedly assaulted in the neighborhood last week by a youth who allegedly hit one of them with a baseball bat and the other one in the face. Police reportedly arrested a minor related to the phone thefts and are continuing to investigate. The, um, the city of San Francisco, in its doom loop, uh, it has a uh, city council they call the Board of Supervisors. And one of those supervisors is Raphael Mandelman. 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 Anyway, Raphael attributes the crime among children in the city in part to the upending they experienced during the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, I think what happened with kids not being in school, I think there may be something going on with that and that we're going to be experiencing it for a while. Oh, okay. So do we add that to the the cost side of the ledger on the COVID response? Right, wouldn't we? Along with the learning loss, deaths of despair, addictions, all of that stuff, right? Throw this on too, the rise in violent crime in our cities that goes on that other side also. Throw that on there. Just trying to get an accurate accounting here. Or maybe, maybe this is not actually related to COVID. And maybe it's related to some other thing. I know it's a brain buster to try to figure that one out, but maybe there's something else. Violent crimes like rapes and assaults have remained relatively stable in San Francisco over the last four years, according to recent data, while murders have increased slightly. Property crimes, on the other hand, have risen sharply since 2019. Quote, crime is worse than the data shows, says Charles Stimson, the Heritage Foundation's senior legal fellow and a former prosecutor in San Francisco. He told Fox News Digital, quote, people do not report these crimes because when you have a DA who's pro-criminal and not going to enforce the law, what's the point? In a related story here at the top of the hour news there, we had this couple that permanently injured their four-month-old infant, dropped it off at the hospital, fled the state. They were finally caught after, what, four months, I think, on the run? And they're already out. They were brought in, like, I thought they got arrested, like, yesterday? Didn't they get them yesterday or today? And they're already out. Seattle. A federal judge has created a preliminary injunction which prevents the city of Seattle from enforcing the law against graffiti. Yeah. Vandalism. Misdemeanor property destruction. The Seattle Police Department released a statement saying, quote, We understand and share the concerns that are being relayed to us by our community, businesses, and residents alike. We know, as evidenced by the thousands of calls for service we receive each year, reporting acts of vandalism and other forms of property damage, that property damage is in fact a crime that is of significance to community members. Seattle PD is working closely with the mayor's office and city attorney's office to assess next steps with the court. Oh my gosh, we've just been firebombed again. Sorry, that last part wasn't in the statement. 
But Seattle saw a huge surge of vandalism, graffiti, specifically during the pandemic. It was up 52%, according, uh, according to the city. And the mayor, Bruce Harrell, announced a plan to combat the problem last year. But even before he could launch the plan, a group of Seattle residents wrote some messages allegedly in chalk and charcoal. They wrote it on, quote, eco-block walls set up outside of Seattle's East Precinct. And yes, that is the same precinct where the Chaz Chop was. So four people write anti-cop slogans on the blocks near the precinct building, right? Including peaceful protest. All four get arrested for vandalism. Ha ha, it's not paint, it's just chalk. They get charged with violating the misdemeanor graffiti law, which reads... Well, I won't read it to you. It doesn't matter. It's not going to matter. I've got, it's, all, it's not very long. But it writes, paints, draws, any inscription, figure, whatever. So that's how I, it didn't matter if it was chalk. The four individuals sued the city, claiming their rights are being violated under the First Amendment. And the 14th. And the 4th. And I think there was a niner in there. Anyway, yesterday the judge set up the preliminary injunction on the grounds that she believes they are likely to win the case. So, sounds to me... Like, the law is too broad because it doesn't allow for people to write chalk messages. Because that's your First Amendment right. You have a First Amendment right to write chalk messages on public property. Portland. Portland is actually looking at maybe... Potentially in the future, in some way, shape, or form, we're not sure how, but potentially. Banning daytime homeless camps. All right, so Portland officials are mulling a proposal to ban daytime homeless camps in most public spaces as the West Coast struggles to get a handle on the ballooning number of people living on the streets. My prediction, they won't do this. Homeless people, I don't know if they will. I don't know. I do not have my finger on the pulse of Portland politics. Homeless people would need to clear their camps every morning by 8 a.m., picking up all of their belongings and trash before they could settle down again at 8 p.m. The ban would extend to city parks, near schools, daycares, construction sites, and some sidewalks. There are currently hundreds of unsanctioned, sometimes dangerous and often squalid homeless camps across all 146 miles of the city of Portland, said the mayor. These homeless camps represent nothing short of a humanitarian catastrophe. Violators would get two warnings, but after that, you could be fined up to $100 or get tossed in jail for as, many, uh, for as much as three, uh, sorry, 30 days. Up to 30 days in jail. Unless, of course, apparently like you're in Charlotte and you're just like abusing an infant, then you're just right out. That's right out of the jail. Um, violators of the law, I already said that, the proposal uh, would also aim to get the city in compliance with a new state law that was supported by businesses and uh, property owners. They argued during the city council, oh, that's, oh, see, so the state passed a law. Ah, that's what happened. The state passed a law forcing Portland to have to look at passing some sort of a local ordinance. That makes sense. Okay. 
Um, they argue the city council uh, at the meeting that some customers and workers don't feel safe shopping or going to work as they circumvent these encampments, which is exactly what people said in Asheville. I talked about that story a couple months ago where they were like, we're going to launch this this new pilot program for 60 days wherein we do our jobs. That's like, that's literally what they said. Like, we're going to bring more police to police the area, provide security for the downtown businesses and their employees, as well as tourists, show a police presence there. Not only that, we're going to bust up people that are like, you know, spray painting graffiti on stuff and we're going to like bust people for public intoxication, right? Basically, the, like these are the minimum things, the core services that GovCo is supposed to be providing, and they're not providing it. They haven't been providing it in a very long time in downtown Asheville and became a freaking hellscape. And so now they're like, okay, uh, let's uh, let do something about this before we get in one of those San Franciscan uh, doom loops. The meeting also brought out throngs of opponents of the proposal with the executive director of the homeless nonprofit lambasting the legislation. This is sort of the argument. Look, this is what you get. You got to have these trade-offs. You know, you live in a big city. This is big city life. Remember the, the, the woman who wrote the piece a couple of days ago about, uh, you know, I ride the subway. And, uh, yeah, you know, I've been, I've been assaulted several times on the subway. You know, people elbowing me and fondling me and stuff like that. But, you know, that's just, uh, that's just a trade-off. You know, if I, want, if I want to go to the Museum of Modern Art, i got to get fondled. Sorry, that's just the trade-off of big city living. Quote, asking homeless Portlanders to carry their homes on their backs for 12 hours a day, seven days a week, will heighten mental and physical distress, hitting houseless and frontline workers like a bunch to the gut, said Sandra Comstock of a group called Hygiene for All. Dozens of protesters rallied outside City Hall before the meeting and jeered at speakers inside the building that were in support of the ban. Homelessness spiked in Portland more than 30% between 2019 and 2022. In November, city council members approved six large designated campsites for homeless people. The city council also voted to agree to a settlement in a federal lawsuit that accused Portland of violating the rights of people with disabilities because the homeless encampments made it tough for people in wheelchairs, walkers, and canes to move around the city. And part of the settlement with the disabled people who now could not use the sidewalks because you let them put up, you let the homeless, oh, sorry, the houseless, people experiencing houselessness or peh, P-E-H, peh, right? So because you allow the peh, to put up all, all manner of tents and encampments and structures on the sidewalks, disabled people cannot walk on the sidewalks. And unless you're going to start putting so, uh, wheelchair ramps just at random parts along the stretch of sidewalk, you know, cut down the curbs and just make them all like one big, you know, uh, uh, wheelchair ramp, I guess, curb cut. Um, part of the settlement now requires the city to remove tents that blocks sidewalks and clear about 500 sidewalk blocking encampments every year for the next five years. That's part of the settlement. They actually had to tell the city specifically how many tents 
have to be cleared each year because the city cannot be trusted to actually look out for the rights of disabled people. By the way, I know you've been wondering, what is Chesa Bowden going to be doing? We are all very worried about what would become of Chesa Bowdeen. You remember him? The former San Francisco DA? He's not running for office in 2024. Oh. He says he's going to leave the political world behind for now. Ah! So he's threatening us. Okay. Bowdeen, or Bowden, or whatever his name is, was voted out of office in June, last June, 22, by people that were unhappy with his soft-on-crime approach. He is now serving as the newly appointed executive director of the University of California Berkeley Laws new criminal law and justice center. Dude got a gig at Berkeley heading up a brand new center for what center on poverty, right? That's that was John Edwards's right sham job. Bev Perdue got one too, former North Carolina governor Bev Perdue. When she retired, she went up to uh Harvard, got herself a nice uh, comfy gig up there. This is what the left does. They protect their own. They get, they install these are these are positions created to fund a certain lifestyle for an elite in order to uh, act as a bridge for their next effort. Right? This isn't a long term play. This is here. We'll give you like three hundred k a year, and uh, you plot your next moves. Yeah, it's a nice gig if you can get it. Nice gig. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Here's Rob. Hello, Rob. Welcome to the program. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Hey, good. What's up? Well, I had a comment and I hope Tony's listening because uh, I, I had a practical application that's that's relevant now to your what you was trying to get him to understand yesterday. Okay. About uh, Marxists being disruptors and dividers, and they don't really have build anything back up. Mm-hmm. Well, I was thinking about sports, and and back in high school, you know, it was men and some women had their things, but then all of a sudden, maybe one or two ladies wanted to play in the men's league, and all of a sudden. It became a huge thing. Yeah, it was it was a bad prejudice thing, and and then after they got a taste of it, they didn't really want that. So you know, they started forming their own leagues and everything like that. So that's part of the divide. I mean, that was probably liberals, progressives, Marxists pushing all that just to just to you know disrupt. And I think the same thing is going on now with the transgender, because. Um, Maybe there was some transes that wanted to play in sports, but now it's just 
it's it's a whole purpose. It's a whole thing, so it can destroy something, right? Like women's sports. This is so not all not all trans kids or adults, for that matter. Not all trans are radical. Or no, sorry, yeah, yeah. Not all trans are radicals, but the movement has been uh, the movement has been co opted by the most radical of trans. Like that's. Right, the, the, right. Exactly. And, and that is its purpose. That is like the infrastructure already existed to disrupt and to and to tear down the institution of marriage being one man and one woman and all that infrastructure that had been erected over the years around that through government policy. And that got torn down. That's a very powerful infrastructure that has now been turned uh, towards a different cause but also has been uh, has been taken over internally by the most radical elements of that original social movement. Right. For only one purpose is to divide and disrupt and destroy a system. Mm-hmm. Like you were trying to tell uh, Tony yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. some of these girls that are standing up for themselves right now, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. They're they're they're. Courage is amazing. They're real. Uh, Riley Gaines and there's. I'm trying to remember her name. I had it in the story. Uh, the girl out from uh, Gaines. One of them was uh, her name's Gaines. Her last name's Gaines. Yeah, Riley Gaines, the swimmer. Yeah, Riley. there was a volleyball player from Western North Carolina that's hooked up now. There's a couple of them that it's and and it's only going to get more pronounced. You're going to get more and more people speaking out about it. Um, I agree. As soon as it becomes like uh, more acceptable, I guess mainstream or whatever for, for these ladies to stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. And and think about it, Pete. If they really cared about women's lib or the glass ceiling or or you know women's rights or women this women that would they really be trying to put biological males to compete with uh with ladies in the sports well that's why there's this huge divide this is what you've heard of uh the fight with uh, jk rowling the the author of the oh, harry yeah. potter yeah. books right in the the transgender movement this is what this is all about is that like right. firm and uh, feminists Feminists, feminists. They uh, uh, these are folks that have been, you know, trying to advance the rights of women, equality for women, and now they're seeing all of their work towards that end be undone. And when they object, they're called turfs. They're called, you know, uh, transphobes and stuff. And there's, uh, it's going to get, it's going to get nasty. I think. Um, but the no, what's it's interesting, worse myself. Yeah, I mean, the the polling on it shows that the trans. Uh, uh, ideology is as an ideology not like transgender people but as an ideology this you know queer radical queer theory um it is it is losing support the more that people are having these discussions the the more people are turning away from what was you know supposedly up until like a minute ago was like the sympathetic the caring position okay yes you are that thing that you say you are um and people are starting to turn away from it so i'm i'm hopeful uh, on that, because I believe it to be, I believe a very large part of it to be uh, a social contagion occurring, uh, particularly among young girls. So it, it's it's straight up Marxism is what it is. It's just because they want to destroy. Well, that's you know, the ideology. The, the way things were. Right. That's the ideology behind the right. the advancing yeah. right. But the but the social contagion because the people who are the the young kids that are affected by this are in fact affected. Right? They are. They're, they're. I mean, obviously, they're being persuaded to go in and take hormones, right? right. And in some That's cases, exactly my point. Yeah, you said it very well. There, they're being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not even went through puberty yet. They're right. seven, eight, nine, ten years old, and they're saying, "Do you know what gender you are?" Right. This I, I heard I'm it referred to matchbox cars in my bedroom. Yeah, 
I have heard it referred to as a, uh, it's the equivalent of a vegan cat. We both know who's making the decisions there, you know? All right, uh, Rob, I appreciate the call, sir. Have a great weekend. You too, buddy. All right, man. See you. Um, all right, so this is from Bob, who says, uh, oh, hang on. Yeah, uh, Bob, uh, in an email to Pete at the thepetecalendarshow.com, spiking old bitey's drink may result in the most lucid day of his presidency. Right, we were talking earlier about maybe the cocaine was actually Joe Biden's. That's what they give him to perk him up. Um, homeless encampment. Stan says, I have an idea for helping the people in Portland solve their homeless problem. It's the peh, the people experiencing houselessness. Uh, to solve their problem that is better than just hiding them during daylight hours, visit and study cities of similar size and emulate their policies that don't cause so many people living there to be homeless in the first place. A novel idea. I know. Oh, Stan, that's a brilliant idea. It's almost like those things, you know, they always take the junkets. They would go to Austin or something or fly up to like Indianapolis. And we want to meet with the city leaders and get some ideas about what they're doing. And we could see how they're dealing with this problem. And they could do that with the homeless stuff. John says, if I was homeless and offered a chance for 30 days in a climate-controlled room with three meals a day, I don't think that would be a tough choice, which means Portland jails will be overflowing, so I assume they will be releasing actual criminals to make room for the homeless. Um, well, yeah, there lies the other problem, is you're going to start busting people who are not of sound mind, and then they're going to rack up past the third, you know, they're going to get their two warnings, and then they're going to start getting arrested, and then they're going to start being held with fines or something, and... And then what? Yeah, I, and then what? You, you think they're ever going to pay that? You, they're going to get out, and then they're going to break the rules again, and they're going to go right back in. So the biggest, biggest problem is, like, there's no obvious solution. People have ideas, but everything has pros and cons, you know? Everything's got pros and cons. Um... This is from Jan, who says, I wonder, all things considered, with Hunter Biden's plea deal and his intervention as part of it, will he have to undergo drug testing? Might be a good idea to start now. That's a good one. It's a good question. I don't know. Um, the ousted San Francisco DA, Chesa Baudin, got a nice little gig at uh, Berkeley Law, the new Criminal Law and Justice Center. He says he's taking, away, taking a step away from the political sphere, but maintaining his lifelong commitment to fixing the criminal justice system. As I learned during my two and a half years as San Francisco's elected district attorney, after I got thrown out of office, it takes far more than winning elections to achieve lasting progress. And by progress, I mean destruction of a civil and free society. Okay, he didn't really say that last part, but he says it behooves us all to pin down what does and doesn't work in the criminal justice space. Like you, you don't work. Let's pin that down. You do not work in the criminal justice space, okay? You don't. He drew on personal experiences with his biological parents, according to the Washington Examiner, who, uh, he said, spent a combined 62 years in prison. Yeah, because they were terrorists with the weather underground. They killed two cops in a Brinks truck guard. 
He's a red diaper baby, this guy is. And that's why George Soros put him into the DA's office with the campaign. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say George? I'm, am, I, am I an anti-Semite now? Because I identified one of his donors as part of like a, a nationwide project to put these red diaper babies and their uh, fellow commie travelers into the prosecutor's offices precisely to achieve this kind of uh, chaos and disorder. Am I not supposed to identify that? Good news, though, everybody. George is going to turn over the reins of the operation to his son, Alex. So I'm not sure if if we identify Alex Soros. That might not, because I know the rule is if you mention George Soros, then that makes you an anti-Semite. But I don't know if that's the rule yet for Alex. Oh, hang on. Oh, yeah, okay, so they just made that a rule, too. Okay, so now we're also anti-Semites if you say he's taken over. Dang it. Dang it. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners, all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? And by popular demand, you asked for him. You said his name three times, and so he appears. Hello, Tony. I only have like a minute, so I really have to ask you something. Do you want to come to the WBT News and Brews event on Wednesday, July 26th at 7 o'clock? Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I would love to. Thank Great. you so much for that. Absolutely. All right. Fantastic. All right. So we'll make it happen. You got uh, So after we're done, I'm going to put you on hold so this way uh, Bernie can get some info from you. Okay? Okay. All right. Cool. All right. So what was your, uh, what's your comment? Okay. You was on the phone with a gentleman a couple of minutes ago, and he was asking some stuff about what I was saying yesterday or what have you. But I'm, I'm going to break it down in the trucker's language for you. Okay? All right. Keep it clean, Tony. Keep it clean. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to keep it clean. <laughs> Okay, so so we were talking about the system needs to be start started over or what have you, right? And you was like, no, it doesn't need to be. But if you have a motor and it's blown in your truck, right, you can swap it out or you can get what's called an overhaul, mm-hmm. right? So you're not really taking the system down, but you're taking all the nonsense that's in the system and gutting it out mm-hmm. and putting what's, what's really uh, would work for us in that motor, right? Mm-hmm. That's all I was trying to say. I wasn't saying that, okay, well, you know, listen, America has its problems. Everybody knows that. But America has a lot of positives, and everybody understands Well, that's that. nice to hear. That's nice to hear. A lot of positives. So, so, I would, I would, so using your car engine analogy, I would submit that uh, it's more like, hey, I have uh, this vehicle. I, have a, I, have a, I got a truck, and, um, and it needs some work. And my mechanic coming in and telling me, okay, I'm going to swap out your diesel engine for an electrical engine, an electric vehicle engine. And me not wanting the EV, I, w- I want to keep the diesel because it's more powerful, it's better, I prefer it, but they want to swap out the whole engine with something completely different. So I'd say that's more along the lines of what the critical consciousness stuff is, it, the, the, and the Marxism, like that's, it's ter- they, they, they're seeking to replace the engine with something else. Well, no, I, I mean, listen, I think critical race theory is is is, is going to happen, uh, and I think it should happen uh, because 
it's going to benefit all the kids because it's going to be truth. Mm-hmm. And, well, and Tony, I'm not going to get back into that. I'm not going to get back into the entire CRT stuff. I appreciate the call. Stay on hold because I got to wrap this up because uh, it's uh, Friday. Uh, I got to wrap it up. Stay on hold. And uh, Bernie's going to get some contact info uh, from you so this way we can get you on the list or a ticket or something to come because I know some people. I got a, a fellow that wrote me. I, I already closed it down, my uh, Twitter account. But he wrote me, a guy named Russ, and he said, that he would very much like to even pay for you to be there, and he'll sit with you so you've got a friend uh, at the at the table so you can hang out. And you don't worry, you, there's no reason to feel threatened or anything like that. You know, you just come on, we ha- have some have some conversations with people and, uh, and meet some of your fellow listeners because they know who you are, you know. Um, but I appreciate the call. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you made it. And uh, yeah, we'll get you the we'll get you a ticket. I'll pay for the ticket if I have to. Um, have you heard of this movie, Sound of Freedom? Apparently, it's doing very, very well. It actually beat Indiana Jones at the movie box office. Two six-packs of shiner, 99-cent butane lighter, lucky strikes and a fifth of Patron. Ice down that igloo cooler, take a gas at all to do her. I can feel a good one coming on Throw in Ray Wiley Hubbard Sing along to Redneck Mother Any blues I had before are gone Another working week is over No chance of staying sober Sound of Freedom is an action thriller exposing the child sex slave trade featuring Passion of the Christ actor Jim Caviezel. It sold more tickets heading into its opening day July 4th than Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Three blondes in a ragtop Mustang followed us down to the lake and didn't have to think about that too long. Skinny dipping in the bright moonlight, situation couldn't be more right. I can feel a good one coming on Yeah, we gonna roll all night We gonna get the feeling right We gonna keep this party rocking till the break of dawn Yeah, I can feel a good one Feel like a good one I can feel a good one coming on Sound of Freedom topped the charts with $14.3 million in ticket sales at just 2,600 theaters. Indiana Jones, $3 million million less at twice as many theaters. Disney's Elemental made only $2.8 million, and it was in almost 4,000 theaters, a distant third.
So Jordan Harmon, the co-owner of Angel Studios, he told the signal, the Daily Signal, that they had some internal numbers that were looking pretty good, but he said this just blew us away. What does it tell you? Content is king. Make good content, you'll do all right. I will see you on Monday. Y'all don't break anything while I'm gone.